Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Talking City podcast, brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy, and joining me today for a very special appearance is Mr. Tyrone Marshall. Ty, how's it going? Yeah, very good. Thank you, uh, Dan. Very good. Been at City Open Training this morning, enjoying the, the spring sunshine here. Mm-hmm. Here at last, lovely and warm down there. So, uh, so yeah, very good. Thank you. Yeah, look, if you're getting out and about, instead I've just been, the only benefit I've had from the sunshine today is putting me washing out nice to dry. Very depressing that that's now a thing that I'm very happy about. But before we get to our open training session on what's in store for City this week, let's talk about something that someone else who's very happy. And that is, of course, Manchester City after the weekend's results. Results plural, not just their own game, which of course we'll get to. Uh, it was uh, the the home match against Leicester City, and as me and Sai touched on last week, we didn't really preview it because we thought it'd be quite run of the mill, easy going Leicester under new manager, under new manager management management. That's the word um, from Dean Smith's first game, but they're struggling at the bottom of the table. We expect it to be quite run of the mill, easy pickings for City, and for the most part, until about the seventy fifth minute that's exactly what it was it went ahead after just five minutes when john stones lashed in a brilliant volley kind of a dipping strike that went into the around the top corner and then uh two goals in quick succession from erland harland one from the penalty spot and another typical finish just kind of puts it home and hosed and um, by about the 36 minute mark and then well the second half unfolded and we'll get to that in due course tie but first and foremost as I say, simple enough victory for the Blues and keep ticking over. Yeah, job done. Job done within the first half hour, really, wasn't it? Just how they'd they have liked it, I think. Um, you know, they're, they're playing brilliantly at the moment. Ten wins in a row. Just keep keep the momentum going. And I think it was it was just what the doctor ordered. There was a few changes, a couple of changes, which I'm sure will touch on some players getting minutes they, they probably needed. Um, I, I don't think we're in the realms of seeing the kind of rotation we've seen in recent seasons this year with with City. I think it's it's being kept to a minimum now. And I think, in a way, Guardiola has almost changed tactic and is making changes in-game now rather than rotating from game to game. But there were a couple of changes. And, yeah, like I say, it was just job done, wasn't it? I know Leicester maybe scared them towards the end, but it was it was simple enough and just the kind of win you want in between two Champions League quarterfinal ties. Yeah, they're certainly getting the momentum now. You know, as you say, there ten ten games and a win uh, win streak. I think it's thirteen or maybe even fourteen unbeaten at this point. You know, back in January, February, we were talking about how it looked so unlikely they'd be able to put this run together again. They just seemed like they were quite fragile. Any time um, they were getting a win or two wins, there would be a draw out of nowhere or just uh, little trip ups, which we kind of, as we've touched on, almost should have expected a bit more given the unusual nature of the season with the World Cup. But, you know, in this last kind of 13, 14 game streak, what if you kind of really noticed the difference in City? Like, what are they doing now that they weren't quite doing back in, you know, back in January? Other than this, you know, the new formation is deploying this 3-2-4-1, which, of course, is typical Guardiola, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Renovation? Not renovations. What? Evolution? Evolution. Yeah. Evolutions. Tactical. Probably more um, than going forward, yeah. Yeah. Um, his little mix and matching yeah. and making stuff work. Yeah, exactly. It has. I think the, the formation has been a huge part of it. City have just grown in confidence. Um, they've got Haaland back firing. They've got John Stones playing brilliantly. The, you, you look at that squad and there's a lot of players. Grealish, for example, Nathan Ake, Rodri, who are playing as well now as they have done all season. John Stones. And I think it, it is just a case that they... 
it's almost once you, you know, we'd said all season they'd not won more than three in the league until recently. They'd not had a winning run. As soon as you get over that hurdle, the confidence builds. And I think that's been the case. The, the changing system has worked. It feels like they've got so much control in games now and are just playing so well in, in those games and the big fixtures, especially that it is all all clicking at the, the perfect stage. And we'll, we'll come on to Arsenal, but this does feel classic City in a way. And there's always this idea, and I know it's an idea for, for some at City, that City hit their stride in the winter and hit these winning runs in November and December and January and, and kill teams off then. But it's not really the case. They they have done it there in the past. And the thought this year was obviously the World Cup is being played at, at City's optimum time of the season. But, you know, they, they have put these wins together late in the season as well previously there. The COVID season when they beat United to the title, the, the winning run lasted until April, I think, when they when they burned United off. The season when they pipped Liverpool by by a point, they won the last 14 in the league. So they, they do do it at this stage of the season as well. And ominously, they are doing it at this stage of the season. And they're playing better now than at any other point in the season. They've got more options in the squad now than at any other point in the season. And I think they have just stumbled across a, a settled system as well. The, the, the John Stones midfield slash right back or midfield slash central defence experiment has, has turned into, um, you know, whatever an experiment turns into when it becomes permanent, basically. It's it's worked absolutely brilliantly. It is giving City a lot of control now. Stones and Rodri look, look really, really good together in the base of midfield. And, you know, I think it's a little combination of things. And, and key to that in a way as well is, is Haaland. And I think it's a stretch to ever say he was out of form, but... I remember when he scored that penalty at Crystal Palace. I think he'd scored two goals in the previous eight games and he'd had a couple of chances that he'd, he'd missed in that game. And I was there at Sellers Park and I remember sort of thinking, when you're thinking for a piece for the morning, you know, is there something on, on Haaland not being found out, but teams finding a better way to defend against him. And at that stage of the season, it, it was the only time he's been talked of as like, well, is that electric start he had starting to, to die down? And, Ever since he scored that that penalty uh, at Palace and, and got City got that that narrow win there when they really they didn't play that well that day but just found a way to get the job done. I mean he's been absolutely absolutely unstoppable, hasn't he? And I think that obviously plays a huge part to it as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it now forty seven goals, the most um, a Premier League player has ever scored in all competitions in a single season. I think that previous record was held for about twenty years by Ruud van Nistelrooy. It's just who knows where he's going to stop? The record, of course, for the most top division goals is 60 by Dixie Dean. I'd be surprised if he, if he manages to get 60 in the Premier League. But there's not... He certainly seems like he's going to surpass that um, in all competitions, especially if City continue going strong in the Champions League and the FA Cup. And then if you add, you know, the record for the most Premier League goals is 34. What's he on now? 32. He's going to absolutely smash that. And there's even, there's even debate over that record because... Shearer and I want to say, oh, who's the other one? Is it Philip? No. Who else? Cole, Andy Cole. Andy Cole and Shearer both. Exactly, exactly. And that's the debate between him and Salah. You know, Salah did it in less in less games, and Mm. it's not going to be an issue um, come May because Harlan's going to have at least 14, imagine, to his name. It's just, yeah, there was that little period. Again, it's almost, I don't think it was as you can look back now, it wasn't that. Haaland himself was kind of out of form. So that City as a whole were, they were struggling to find him. And then he had he was such so involved so, so little in games that when the odd chance did come his way, he was almost snatching it a little bit just because he wasn't 
they were the chances were rarer and the pressure was on. I think I remember the the Leipzig match that was a draw or whatever it was before they absolutely smashed them and it didn't matter. Um, yeah, Harland, draw, it like. was, wasn't it? Harland had the chance in that when he he went through and snatched it straight at the keeper and stuff like that. And he, he, you know, City as a whole were at sorts and just kind of getting by, but now everything's on song and innovations was the word I was looking for earlier. And it's, it's as I as me and Sai said last week, it's so funny that the innovation he's had this this last few months, Guardiola, is with defence and it's been almost going backwards in time and playing four centre-backs because it's such a departure. This is the manager who spent £130 million in his second summer on three full-backs because he saw a full-back as such a pivotal position. He completely overhauled it getting rid of kind of Clichy and Kolarov and Sanya and bringing in, you know, Walker and Danilo. Um, and no, he's not even using them at all. It's, it, I, I still don't quite get how it's working so well, but Ake Akanji and, of course, Stones the, and Rodri and I think Diaz, as we've often said, has been the real catalyst for City's kind of newfound resilience. It's just, it's almost bizarre where he's making it work and, you know, he's been experimenting with this inverted fullback all season. It was uh, it was Cancelo, of course, at first before he left. Bernardo had a little stint there. That was weird. Um, then Rico Lewis did it for a bit and did well, but of course, he's still only um, a youngster. And now they're settled on the four centre-backs and it's just it's just working a treat. Yeah, it is. It's, it, you know, it's, it's remarkable to think that a Guardiola team has found a, a perfect system for them that involves four, four centre-backs, but... That's that's the way it's worked, and like you say, it is working superbly. Um, you mentioned Diaz there; I completely forgot him when I mentioned players who are in the best form of the season. He's a, he's a prime example. He's been back to his best recently and, and absolutely superb. Nathan Aki, I think I was having this conversation this morning at um, at open training. I think if you if you took Harland out of that team, who obviously has to win it, um, Ake would be up there for for player of the season. I think probably with with Rodri and, and maybe even winning it. And he's certainly. You know, if you're after an unsung hero or, or someone who's risen above expectations this year, it would definitely be Nathan Ake. It's easy to remember now, but he, you know, he he could have left the club in in the summer. Chelsea wanted to sign him. It, it wasn't. It was you know, It wasn't out of the question that he was going to leave. He's ended up staying, and he's he's been he's been huge for for City. And I remember Guardiola saying back in January, I think it was that we you know we. We only play well when Nathan's playing or something along those lines. And of course, he didn't play the next week, which was classic Guardiola. But um, yeah, that that system with the four centre backs is working. Like you say, they've got um, they've got a, a natural fullback in in Kyle Walker, who is England's right back, who, who now Guardiola has recently admitted doesn't doesn't fit what they want to do anymore. And he came on and, and he played at the uh, came into the side at the weekend and played. But I don't think Kyle Walker is going to be starting many games between now and the end of the season. Me. Maybe the FA Cup semi if, if Guardiola does rotate this weekend, but I don't think there'll be many for him. And I think it is going to be this this four centre half system for, for a little while yet. Yeah, absolutely. And me and Sai said last week that we couldn't really see any changes happening at all for the rest of the season. And Laporte and Walker seemed like two of the biggest victims of that. Two players who've been so crucial over the years. As we said, it was only just over a year ago now when Laporte played when City had no one else left with his ankle hanging on by a thread and got them over the line to win the title in a really selfless performance. And now he couldn't get a look in, likewise with Walker. And then, surprisingly, they both started on a Saturday. Um, it seems like they did well, City, of course, were freed up by um, in half an hour with them on the pitch. So it's good for City that even when they're not playing, and surely frustrations with that do arise, that they can still come in and do a job when needed. Um, but as you said earlier, City did get a scare from... From Leicester, and it came in the second half when 
Guardiola, <clears throat> pardon me, with clearly one eye on Bayern, and he already had one eye given the changes free he made from the starting eleven. Started making quite drastic substitutions at halftime. Haaland and Stones came off um, within an hour. De Bruyne and Rodri were off, and then in the 75th minute mark, Sergio Gomez surprisingly came off for Grealish, and that's when things nearly kind of bit City in the backside. Leicester had 11 shots in the game; eight of them came after that fifth substitution. And City can end up, end up getting away with it in the end. Ian Acho kind of tapped in um, for, uh, off a corner in which kind of Phillips and Gomez, neither of which kind of covered themselves in glory defending. And then that really kind of sparked Leicester to life after being so especially dull and nullified for the previous 75 minutes. And they really did have the chances to come back into it. Um, Ruben Diaz, as we've just said, been so good, usually unflappable, even kind of had a mistake in him. He got dispossessed by Madison, who went through and couldn't quite finish. Uh, Edison stood, stood him up really well. And then Ian Acho again involved, hitting the inside of the post. Guardiola said, Guardiola himself said after the game, like, if Madison had have scored, I don't know what would have happened. And that, you know, that reminds me more than ever that the game isn't over until it's properly over. And so it seemed like a bit of a I wouldn't hard to say mistake because job got done and there was no arm done in the end, but maybe a bit of an oversight from Guardiola. Maybe, you know, he even said before the match, you can't make more than too many changes in my experience, or it just, you know, paraphrasing, it derides you too much and it, you lose your rhythm. And he kind of forgot that in the match, thinking it was a done. And, you know, the changes really did. City were kind of lost at sea for that last 15 minutes. And, you know, one more goal goes in, as he says, and it really could have been squeaky bum time. But if anything, it's good that this kind of reminder came in a match against one of the worst teams in the division. City came through unscathed and I don't see it happening again for the remaining 13 or so matches. No, I you know I actually think it was a good thing he, he made those songs. Okay. No, no, it's not something that everyone necessarily agree with, but you know he, they did it from a position of strength. It was 3-0 mm-hmm. up, and I know you, you mentioned those two chances there for, for Madison and Iheanacho, and Leicester could have scored, and they'd, they'd have then have taken a point with what would have probably been their only three shots on, on target if Iheanacho should have gone in. I mean, that would have been extremely unlucky, and I know they had chances. I also think had Madison scored that goal to make it 3-2, I think they'd have probably sharpened up and... Mm-hmm. And switched back on, and you'd be extremely unlucky to make to make five subs and throw away a three 0 lead in the last fifteen minutes. I, I know it it could theoretically have happened with those chances, and and they did get a bit a bit slack. But at the end of the day, you've you've got to make these changes. You can't mm-hmm. play the same eleven for ninety minutes every week, otherwise City won't win the treble. That and history has has told us that um, mm-hmm. in in recent years. You look at it is it is this week that has cost them the last three years when they've had a Champions League away game. I think at least twice on the Wednesday night, maybe all three on the Wednesday night, and then an FA Cup semi-final on the Saturday. And it's it's been too much for them. They've, they've either had players who've been knackered or had to rotate too much. You look at Liverpool last year. I mean, that was a that semi-final was a gift for Liverpool with with what happened to City in Madrid on the Wednesday night. City were were almost never going to win that that game. And I know they got it back to three two in the end, but that was a huge task for them. And it's. It's made it a little easier this week, of course, by the fact that they go to Munich in a commanding position. Mm-hmm. If they take the lead in that game and they're ahead on the hour mark, I, I would, wouldn't be surprised and would like to see three, four, five changes again, to be honest. And then you can play mm-hmm. the team on, on Saturday. And I think we have seen a bit of a change with his, his subs this year. I actually did a piece this morning on why it was a good thing he's, he's doing this. And six, six of the last 10 games now, he's made all five subs. And I think he did it 
11 times in the first 37 or 38 games or or something like that. And we, there were so many games earlier in the season when he didn't make, mm. um, you know, didn't hardly use his bench at all. You, you think of the Everton game um, at the Etihad when he didn't make a change until the 87th minute when it was one all. He made one at Newcastle in the 3-3, which was injury-enforced. Made one at Anfield, one at Old Trafford, two at Tottenham, one of which was in the last minute. Um, didn't make a sub until 87th minute against Brentford, maybe. I think he made one at Villa in the draw. So hardly uses his bench in, in these games when the games look to be in the balance. But at this stage of the season, mm-hmm. I think you do need to be using the bench. You do need to be resting players. We've, we've seen it with Haaland as the the perfect example. Um, I think Rodri's another. It, it's hard to envisage Calvin Phillips starting a game between now and the end of the season. And Rodri's workload's been incredible. So if you can bring him off after 45, 55 minutes, you, you've got to take that opportunity, mm-hmm. I think, to try and to try and keep the players fresh. So I know it nearly backfired and, um, you know, it, there was obviously always that risk. I think it still would have been pretty unfortunate for City. But I do think Guardiola is doing the right thing by trying to, rather than rotating his team, he's, he's trying to get in a position of strength, which City are doing a lot at the moment, and then whipping players off and, and giving them 25, 30 minutes or indeed an entire half rest in game. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a benefit that, you know, you look at the players who either didn't play at all on Saturday or had an hour, in Grealish's case, 35 minutes, but for the rest, played an hour tops. You know, Ake and Gundogan didn't play, they're rested. Then Bernardo, Haaland, uh, Grealish, of course, uh, Stones, Rodri, De Bruyne, they all got minutes off, which is is vital, of course. But I think the issue is, maybe a, maybe it's the five-sub thing, and that's not, I think that can be a better, be a kind of harmful to anyone. Guardiola was one of the ones, one are the main proponents of keeping the five subs rule during um, kind of the COVID era when it left and came back. Um, it left during uh, after the COVID period because um, then he got a lot of criticism, didn't he? Because he never used those five subs when they first came in. He'd only use one and be like, why do you want five subs if you're not even using three and all this sort of stuff? But now, as you say, it's a far cry from those days and he is using them. But I think the issue may be in terms of personnel now, obviously he was hamstrung by Foden being out, which has changed, which as we'll get on to, but kind of Gomez, a left-back coming in on the left midfield. And as I say, he getting caught out and not marking Ianacho for that goal. And you say Phillips, I don't think he's still played 500 minutes this season. And of course he needs minutes, but and you know if you're not going to give him a free nil up against the 19th best team, when are you going to do it? But if it, if it can nearly catch you out against Leicester, I think it can probably catch you out against nearly anyone. So I, I, I'm not opposed at all to using all five subs, but I think, the, the way they were done so early in the match maybe disrupted the rhythm. And I say they got away with it, no harm done. But if you do that against a team, you know, let's say you know Brentford have already beaten City this season, and it's you know it's, it's the last game of the season, isn't it? So I doubt you will see it this year. But um, if he did that against Brentford, you'd see a team like Brentford, even at three 0 down, would have much more capability of doing actual damage to you. So it's just one. I think it's just one thing you got to be wary of. You know, not not just kind of not trying to disrupt the rhythm too much because you take everyone out and the players can't get to the rhythm of the game and you suddenly Leicester are alive and on top of you, it's, it's hard to kind of get settled and maybe it was a freak circumstance that'll never happen again. But it wouldn't surprise me if we see a bit more restrained, like not using two, you know, two subs at our time and changing stuff like that. Just wouldn't surprise, you know, and wasn't it a Kanji in midfield as well? I don't think a Kanji's done that role himself. Um so maybe it was just a bit too, on that one occasion, just a bit too many changes that disrupted the flow. But as I say, Madison went through and it wasn't 
just his poor finish that kind of kept them in it. It was Edison's really good save. He, he, he's really improved recently. Yeah. He got a lot of criticism earlier in the year from you know only conceding conceding from his first shot on target repeatedly and his deal and specifically his dealing was with one on ones and in the last few games he's really really improved I think he maybe he's taken the criticism to heart or Guardiola hasn't got him to get better but um he's dealing when players have gone through now he's so much more um restrained he isn't charging out as much as more and leaving himself exposed he's really standing up and you know it's a simple save in the end because Madison hit it straight at him but he, he did well to close that angle and Make himself big and big and tall, and and cut down that. Um, you know, I presume the XG of that shot. So he, he's doing really well at the moment as well, which probably goes under. You know, the criticism was loud, but I don't think the praise has been quite as loud. Yeah, quite possibly. I think that there's always comparisons between Edison and Allison and and what they do differently. And I think one, you know, one of the big ticks in the the Liverpool goalkeeper's favour is all, and why he's probably number one for Brazil is is shot stopping and certainly is is one-on-one work is is probably better than Edison. Liverpool certainly previously have, have allowed a lot of one-on-ones against Allison because they know how good he is at, at stopping them and that's always been maybe not a weakness for Allison, but certainly where he's he's not in the same not sorry a weakness for Edison but not in the same league as as Allison for sure. But yeah he's he is playing very well at the moment. He's you know I I'm still not sure he's maybe a shot stopper as good as as Allison or or De Gea perhaps, but he's got less blunders in him than De Gea for sure, and and obviously his his quality with his feet is is probably better than Allison. So he's you know he's always been I think the perfect package for for City, and at the end of the day he doesn't he doesn't face that many shots for it for it to be an issue really. Yeah, definitely. As I say, no harm done in the end, even if it was a bit of a scare in those last 15 minutes. But an important win for City made even better the following day as those cracks continued to widen down at Arsenal. They once again dropped points from leading 2-0. They went ahead against West Ham within seven minutes. They were two up with goals from Jesus and Martinelli, I want to say. Might well be wrong there. Probably should have checked, but ayo. This felt... If we debated last week, me and Sai, if the Liverpool match in the end would be a point gained given the stem of the match and the way the, the tides were turning, it's going to Liverpool, a place they hadn't won, hadn't won in twelve years. But this time, there's there's nothing other to say than this was a massive, massive two points dropped, a massive psychological blow, and it's, it might be harsh to say bottling it for a team who's played so well for so long. And are competing with the juggernaut that is City, but at the end of the day, the pressure was on the most it's been, and they crumbled under it. Two 0 to West Ham, who are down at the bottom of the table, not doing well, and drawing the game is is you're not going to win the league doing that. And now Arsenal still can. Arsenal still, if they beat City, it's still they still got the lead. They currently have a four point advantage, but you know City do have a game in hand, and it just feels now that it's, it is. It just feels inevitable at this point. Yeah, it does. And I think the manner of those two Arsenal draws uh, are, are what's really going to hit them hard and going to cost them. I mean, it's the the first time, I think, in, in their Premier League history that they've been 2-0 up away from home in successive games and drawn 2-2. And they've not just been 2-0 up in those games. They've been 2-0 up and looking like they're going to win them 4 or 5-0 and have contrived to, to draw them both. And they were lucky to hold on against Liverpool in the end, that, yet they had so much control of that game. They probably weren't lucky to hold on against West Ham, but at the end, it felt like a 50-50 game rather than one where Arsenal were pushing for the winner. I think Antonio hit the post late on. West Ham had their had their moments to, to go and win that game. 
and yeah, I just think the manner of those games and the way they've, even if you know, even if we say they're not choking, it, it probably feels to them like they are choking just because they've thrown away leads in in games where they were comfortable. And like you say, it is still in their hands. I think the the only advantage they have coming to the Etihad next week is that nobody expects them to win anymore. And I don't think, you know, if you went round. If you went around, you know, all the journalists go into that game. If you take the fans out of it, if you went around all the journalists and the broadcasters go into that game, I don't think anyone would predict an Arsenal win at the moment in that fixture, which considering they will probably be seven points clear going into that game, given they've got Southampton at the weekend, is is remarkable to say, really. But the way City are playing, the way it, it looks like Arsenal are beginning to, to feel the heat a little bit, I don't think anyone really gives them much of a a chance of winning at the Etihad, which which feels incredible to say, really. But you just look at the way City are playing, City's experience in these situations. And like I say, the, the only benefit to Arsenal is that they can almost go there and say, right, we're seven points clear. No one expects us to win this game. It's a free hit. Just go out there and, you know, prove people wrong. Show them that the last two games are an aberration and, and put it out your system. But yeah, it does. It, it feels ominous for Arsenal at the moment, doesn't it? And it feels... You know, I think pretty much everyone at the moment thinks City will 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 win the league. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think a couple of weeks ago we was talking about who will think will win. I actually was the only one on this panel to say I think Arsenal will just about hold on. But I still, I just didn't think that it's hard to say crumble. I don't. It, that's what I say. It's hard to say it physically, but that's what it just feels like. It just and mm. they've just. I've thrown it away. Like the way it's, it's the only way to say it. It's harsh, I guess, because you say they're obviously a rich club, but they've nothing compared to City, and they're not spent on the same level as City. So to keep up with City, who have made the Premier League, basically, you have to get ninety-three plus points to enable to win it. Liverpool had the record points tally twice for teams finishing second, and still didn't win. Because well, they finished second, like the City have pushed the um, the standards so high, and a draw ten even ten years ago, well even seven years ago, you know, Leicester lost to Arsenal, didn't they, in the season when they won the league, and that even that didn't feel as much of a disaster to them and their title challenge as this does to Arsenal now, and it's just two draws, and but two draws now, just that the standard is so high that. So incredibly high that even two draws are just completely can blindside you and completely change the odds. You know, City are miles away the favourites now, and isn't as I say it just feels inevitable that City are just going to steamroll it. You can't see anyone beating them, including Arsenal in the form they're in. But we'll leave the Premier League talk for a close for now, and we'll be back in just a moment to turn our attentions to the Champions League. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. It's a massive week ahead for City, of course. Uh, it's FA Cup semi-final at the weekend, and of course, that blockbuster clash with Arsenal. But first is the second leg of the quarter-final tie with Bayern Munich. City, a free goals to the good after a stunning performance last week at tie. You were there. What did you kind of make of that display? Where does it rank amongst City's best European nights? 
I mean, it's got to be up there as one of their most um, all-round and, and polished performances in, in Europe. They've played very well in European games before, but often played well going forward in, in chaotic games and have, have left the door ajar. You, you think back to the Real Madrid semi last year when they were absolutely exceptional, but just didn't they didn't they didn't kill Real Madrid. And when you don't kill Real Madrid, you you usually get killed yourself. Um this time it felt like they, they did kill off Bayern Munich. I don't think Bayern have got a prayer in the in the second leg, the way the way they're playing at the moment. And it just it did feel one of City's most complete European performances against what you know what is an elite team, what is always one of the Champions League favourites. City were excellent. Um the you know Thomas Tuchel afterwards kind of said it was a game where the the goals were scored in moments. They they didn't follow patterns of play. Bayern were were in the game in general play. There wasn't a lot between the sides and, and Bayern did have a lot of the ball, but I think City coped with it pretty well. You could tell Guardiola was always nervous about Bayern's threat on the break. Every time one of the wide men got the ball in space, he was down on his haunches watching the game. But City got back so quickly and, and defended quite deep against that threat, I thought, and packed the penalty area when Bayern did get the ball that there just weren't there weren't many chances for for Bayern. There was the the block shot in the first half and then obviously size personal battle with um with Edison. But beyond that there wasn't a lot for Bayern and a one nil win, I think City would have felt like was a poor result and, and in the last twenty minutes they just they killed it off really and in the end Bayern were lucky to get away with a with a with a three nil. So um so yeah I think it's it's got to be right up there in terms of all round performances for sure. Yeah it definitely felt like me and Sai touched it quite often. It felt comfortable like there was the inevitable Bayern sustained pressure for the first half an hour, 30, 25 minutes of the second half. That was always going to come. You don't have that many great attacking players and midfielders and not be able to string some kind of possession together and have the ball and kind of put some pressure on. But City just never lost the composure. I think Stones was saying after the game, like, we know it's going to come because look how good they are. But as long as we kind of know we're all doing our jobs right, keeping our reds, staying cool and just doing what we've been told to do, we know we'll get through it. And that's what they did. The, there were some blocks, as you say, Diaz and Ake both had to throw themselves in front of a couple of balls, but they were always there and that was the important thing. And and as you say, one shot in the box, I think Bayern had, like they were so limited. And I think Edison had to make one really good save from Sane, as you mentioned. But other than that, most of Bayern's shots were from outside the area and, while it might have felt like the pressure was actually on because they were having so many shots, in, in actuality, they never really worried City that much. And it was, as you say, just so almost stress-free in a way. It never felt like those, like that Real Madrid game and like so many eliminations in the past when City have had a bit of adversity and almost cracked under that pressure a little bit. And, you know, one decision goes against them, one goal goes in and you can see, you can almost like physically just see just the shoulders slump, the heads drop and like everyone knows, oh, here we go, that we all know what's going to happen here. And, you know, they didn't, Bayern didn't score, of course, but even felt if they had have scored, if one of them signed a chance to have sneaked in, the way, the mood City were in, it just didn't look like even then the heads would drop too much. And of course, it did feel a bit like in that first half, or oh, they've had a lot of domination here. Are they, are they going to regret not, Finish them off, finish them off in this first half, like they did against Leicester, getting you know raced into a free goal lead because you know Jan Sommer had one of the maddest games I've ever seen, in which he was hopeless on the ball, but yet somehow made some absolutely sublime saves. But they turned it on in that last twenty, <clears throat> pardon me, last twenty pressed really high and got two two really good goals. And 
as you say, it certainly bodes well for this second leg. And is it going to be more of the same from City? Is it going to be a similar lineup to that first leg? Does Guardiola change anything? Does what what? How does City approach this with a free goal lead? Because they can't just sit back and invite the pressure all match. Because you know, at home away at the Allianz is a completely different prospect. Bayern, you'd imagine, are going to going to come out guns blazing as they did in that second half and try and get back into it. So does City try and control the game, get on the ball, or do they try and hit um, hit Bayern on the counter? It's it's going to be very interesting how Guardiola lines this one up. Yeah, it will. I mean, we always do a, a panel of our you know, the teams we would pick really for for the game and I think me you and Si have all picked the same team as as last mm. week and I think that is probably what what Guardiola will do I'd, I'd never say a Guardiola team is is predictable but you wonder if this is as close as it gets um it's hard to think of of many changes I mean you could make an argument for Walker's pace but I don't think City are likely to be hit on the break that much here and they controlled that I thought very well last week anyway by getting men back and I think you'd rather have stones in in that midfield role and, and have the same back three maybe you make an argument for for Mares on on the wing to to offer a bit more of an, a counter-attacking threat of your own but I would think it's probably going to be the same team and, and pretty much the the same approach there's going to be gaps to exploit Bayern have to go for it at home they they're not going to die wandering Tuchel said last week that the game's not over and you know we're not going to give up until we're in the showers but it's it's you know it, it feels like an extremely difficult thing to plot a three goal win against this city side when you've got De Bruyne who Guardiola refers to as the the best player in transitions in the world and Haaland in in front of him the idea of Bayern winning 3-0 and stopping city scoring seems pretty unlikely and the more they have to go for it the more it could play into city's hands so i do think it'd be more of the same and i think it would be you know i would pick and i think we would all pick the same team as as last week really yeah, absolutely. I should say it just seems it worked once. Maybe it will work again. I just were intrigued if there's alterations to it because the team was kind of predictable last week, but it was Stones going into midfield from centre back rather than right back and Akanji being on the right back. So I wonder if again we'll go back to that or there might be slight alterations there with where Stones lines up. But otherwise, I should say, like if it's not broken, <laughs> why why would you fix it? City did so well in the first leg. And it just seems that's going to be the perfect way to deal with them once again. Um, maybe there'll be a slight difference because there is two teams, both teams, I should say, have got a bit of an injury boost. Um, Eric Maxim Chepu-Moting is back in training for Bayern Munich, which I think says quite a lot about their predicament that that yeah. is such good news. But it, it is in fairness because he is um, their only central, proper central striker. They lined up with Serge Gnabry up front at the Etihad, which didn't work in the slightest. They just gave him no focal point or stopping power. Does does him come, being back change anything at all? Now, I know we all laugh at that because he had he had um, his spell at Stoke and whatnot, but he, he's actually proven himself at Bayern and um, PSG to be quite a decent actual decent striker, actually, and I believe his tally's quite good this season. I'm just getting on. He's, he's 10 in 18 league games and 4 in 6 in the Champions League. Not bad at all. Maybe he should be hoping for better and a team like Bayern, but for a striker who doesn't start every match and obviously isn't on the world-class level by any means, he could offer Bayern something different, maybe something for City to be a little bit wary of if he is fit. Yeah, I think he would certainly make Bayern play better if he's if he's fit enough to go in from the, the start. I'm not sure he really will be. I think it would be a, a risk to 
to put him in from the start. But I do think having that focal point would make them play better. And I thought it was noticeable that they they did struggle without a central striker and, and having that threat last week. So, so yeah, I think there's... there's I, I wouldn't say City should be worried about Eric Maxim to promoting. I mean, I think that the damage has very much been done without him. And I don't think he's... I don't think he's worthy of a, a three-goal advantage to, to Bayern. And even if he does come back in, you, you just look at Bayern, I think they've got more problems than, than just a lack of a central striker. There was obviously the Mane and Sane incident last week. Um, and then obviously the draw at home to, to Hoffenheim on, on Saturday. So they're, they're not exactly heading into this game in a in a great situation, are they? And I don't think having Maxim, Eric Maxim to promote him back is, is going to be transformative enough. Yeah, it's almost as if sacking your manager who has won all eight of your previous Champions League games was a bit of a mistake, but who are we to judge? And finally, also City have got some good news this um, on Tuesday as well, and that is Phil Foden is back. He's, mass, he's missed the last three league games and that first leg uh, after recovering from uh, surgery to remove his appendix after um, suffering a bit of appendicitis. Now, it's still not clear as at time of recording if he's going to be fit enough to travel um, if he's going to be involved, um, hopefully he will be, of course. But um, you, you know, you were at open training, Ty. You've seen him. He was he was involved with the rest of the team. There was no kind of individual um, sessions or just working on fitness or anything like that. He was involved with the team, and in all likelihood, he may well be making the trip. I don't, as well, neither do you, of course, think he'll start. But um, having that option on the bench, um, as, you know, as I touched on in that Leicester match, not having that other attacker available to come on, nearly. You know, gave City the heebie-jeebies, but having Foden there, hopefully, to come on at some point is a is a real boost for City as well, of course. Given they've been without him for the last four games, yeah, it's a it's a nice you know a nice bonus to have, isn't it? He, he, I mean, we only see the first fifteen minutes of of training on these UEFA um, UEFA events, but yeah, he was doing the same as everyone else. He was involved in in all the same drills, so he looked to be taking part in in what you'd term full training. Whether it's this week or, or whether it's Saturday, you think he's going to get some game time this week. Um, you know, it is only three weeks, I think, since he last played. And, and obviously he's had his had his um, appendix issue, but he, he shouldn't have lost too much match sharpness then and should be able to get it back quickly. And and what a boost for, for City to, you know, to have. We mentioned before the, the number of players who are in their best form of the season at this stage of the season. Guardiola's now got a, a fully fit squad to choose from, a, a clean bill of health in in mid-April, when you're chasing a treble, is is unbelievable, really. And I think it's a, it's an envious position for City to be in that they've got no injury worries mm. at the moment. Hopefully, they'll get through tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, the same touch wood. And yeah, a fantastic boost to have Foden back and and have that weapon off the bench. And I think it, it will be off the bench at the moment. I can't I can't see him being thrown into the side even in the next couple of weeks. Really, I think he'll remain an an impact sub given how well that balance is working mm. at the moment. But he is, uh, he is some impact sob to have. Absolutely. As I say, even if he doesn't come on at the Allianz, a perfect time for him to come back, given the games on the horizon with the FA Cup semi-final and that blockbuster clash with Arsenal. So it's going to be a very exciting week for Manchester City and you know exactly where to go to get all the latest updates, expert analysis and match coverage. That is, of course, manchesteveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. And thank you, dear listener, for listening because that is the end of the Talking City podcast for today's episode. We'll be back hopefully on Thursday, maybe Friday. Soon, any luck this week for sure. Friday is actually Friday. Keep those, keep your eyes on the feeds. It's definitely going to be Friday as we'll talk everything that happens over in Munich on Wednesday night and look forward to 
that FA Cup semi-final. Um, so, yeah, please come back next week. Tell your friends, tell your people who don't even like City to go and give us a listen. Of course, if you want to watch it all in living colour, you can go over to our YouTube channel as well, uh, Manchester Evening News dash Man City for that. But until Friday, everyone, thank you all very much for listening and we'll see you then. Ta-ra.